One, one, two, three. Hello and welcome to the People Powered Green Left Podcast, where we give a voice to the 99% and not the big corporations. If you think this project is important, please consider becoming a supporter today. Now, on to our latest episode. I'm Sarah Glynn, and I'm going to talk about the Kobani case. On the 26th of April, 108 leading members of the third largest party in the Turkish parliament will face a show trial that could see them all imprisoned for life. Six and a half years ago, the world watched in horror as ISIS swept through Syria and seemed about to devour the Kurdish city of Kobani. Demonstrations were taking place everywhere, calling for support of the besieged defenders. In Turkey, there was added frustration and anger, not just because Kurds in Turkey identified with their brothers and sisters in Syria, where the black flags of ISIS could be seen from across the border, but also because, despite their professed opposition to ISIS, the Turkish government's only intervention was to prevent volunteers crossing into Syria to help in Kobani's defence. The 108 members who made up the Central Executive Committee of the People's Democratic Party, the HDP, called via Twitter for people to come out into the streets. The demonstrators were attacked by members of the security forces, by far-right Islamists and by Turkish nationalists. In the ensuing violence, around 50 people lost their lives, the great majority of them protesters supporting Kobani. The HDP has made repeated calls for a full investigation into the violence, but all have been refused. Now, six and a half years on, a political court case is confronting both logic and humanity by accusing the HDP members, in light of those tweets, of the homicide of the protesters who died, and also of disrupting the unity and integrity of the state. Selahattin Dermatash, former co-chair of the HDP, was detained as part of this case, which thus fell under the scrutiny of the European Court of Human Rights. In December 2020, the court called for his immediate release, arguing that the case had no basis and the detention was purely political. Instead, the Turkish state extended the case to encompass all 108 HDP Executive Committee members. As if that weren't enough, they are attempting to use this as the basis for closing down the HDP completely. Let's have a look at the background to what is happening. This case is part of an intensifying attack on the HDP that seeks to eliminate it from Turkish politics. Over the last six years, around 6,000 party members have been imprisoned, including elected MPs and mayors and the former party co-chairs, and many thousands more have been detained by the police. If the ban is approved, this will be the sixth pro-Kurdish political party to be banned in Turkey. Kurdish minority rights have never been recognised by Turkey, and a century of forced assimilation has seen massacres and disappearances and the displacement of millions of Kurdish people, as well as the development of a civil war with the PKK, who saw no hope of getting Kurdish rights recognised through parliamentary means. But the Kurds have refused to give up on the parliamentary route, and in 2014, 
relations seem to be moving in a positive direction, with peace talks between the government and the imprisoned PKK leader Abdullah Ojalan, which the HDP was helping to facilitate. At the same time, President Erdogan and the Justice and Development Party, AKP, government wanted to prevent the emergence of an autonomous administration in the predominantly Kurdish areas of northern Syria. They refused to distinguish between the Syrian Kurdish forces, YPG and YPJ, that were liberating their homeland, first from Ba'athist oppression and then from ISIS, and the PKK, who Turkey classifies as terrorists. At the end of February 2015, the negotiations with Ojalan appeared to be reaching an initial agreement, and the Dolmabahce consensus was jointly presented by the HDP negotiators and the Deputy Prime Minister. But Erdogan was not prepared to accept the increasing Kurdish role, either in the form of an autonomous Kurdish enclave on Turkey's southern flank, or in the growing support for the HDP that had been encouraged by the peace process. He quickly pulled back and declared an agreement out of the question. Harassment and oppression of the HDP increased, and this was ramped up further after the HDP won 13% of the vote in the June 2015 general election, comfortably crossing the 10% threshold needed for representation and ensuring that the AKP lost their majority. The situation became even worse in the general clampdown on all forms of opposition that followed the failed coup in 2016. The current intensity of the attack on the HDP appears to be a response to the AKP government's reliance on its ultra-nationalist partners in the Nationalist Movement Party, MHP, combined with AKP fears that, without removing the HDP opposition, they will lose the next elections. When it comes to retaining power, Erdogan sees the judicial system as a vital ally. The legal cases against the HDP and its members are based on the government's refusal to distinguish between the legally constituted political party and the PKK, and on their hugely elastic definition of terrorism. The cases have been made possible by the erasure of the separation between government and judiciary. So what happened in 2014? That autumn, a yet undefeated ISIS was laying siege to the Kurdish city of Kobani in northern Syria, just across the Turkish border. Although Turkey had acted as the main conduit for international jihadists to enter Syria, the Turkish government was refusing to allow anyone to cross the border to join in the defence of Kobani. They claimed to be fighting ISIS and had promised to do what was needed to help Kobani but the Turkish troops on the border were doing nothing to stop the attacks on the city and instead were focused on preventing Kurds from going to its rescue. Up to this point, due to the delicacy of the peace negotiations, the HDP had refrained from criticising the government, but the urgency of the situation demanded action. Calls were going out across the world for Kurds and others to come out into the streets. On the evening of the 6th of October, the HDP's Central Executive Board posted a call on Twitter for people to join the street protests against ISIS and against the AKP government's embargo. Anger at the government further increased the next day when Erdogan gave a speech in which he announced 
Kobani is about to fall. Instead of giving the promised help, he appeared pleased to announce this imminent defeat. The demonstrations were met by police with rubber bullets, tear gas, water cannon and live ammunition. Also on the streets were counter-protesters who had no wish to see the Syrian Kurds defeat ISIS, including members of the far-right Islamist organisation Huda Par and Turkish nationalists. The first death occurred in Varto district, where police fired on demonstrators and killed a young HDP member. And more demonstrators were killed in Batman when they were fired on by people who have not been identified. Tensions, violence and destruction spread. Official figures acknowledged 37 dead, but the actual number of people killed was probably around 50, most of them pro-Kobani protesters. In statements made on the 7th and 9th of October, HDP co-chair Selahattin Demirtas emphasised the HDP's opposition to the use of violence, noting that they were ready to work with the government if the government identified the agitators behind the violence. But nothing was done in response to this, and the Minister of Interior, Afghan Allah, himself told HDP deputy Siresoria Under during the protests that he could not control unruly elements within the police. Since that time, the HDP have made at least 10 requests for full investigation into the violence, but nothing of this kind has been carried out. Instead, we saw the emergence and growth of the Kobani case. On the 4th of November 2016, nine HDP MPs, including the party's co-chairs, Selahattin Dermatash and Feigen Yuxakdar, were arrested and put in pre-trial detention. The HDP tweets from the 6th of October 2014 were quoted as evidence of public incitement to commit an offence, and the fact that the PKK made a similar call was used to imply that they were one and the same organisation. Turkey's political cases can get very complicated, with people subject to a large number of different but similar charges, and also lesser charges that can keep them in the prison system. Last autumn, many more HDP members were accused in connection with the Kobani protests from six years before, and the case has now been extended to include all 108 people who were present at the HDP Central Executive Board meeting that agreed the tweets. On the 7th of January, the Ankara 22nd Heavy Penal Court accepted an indictment filed on the 30th of December, which calls for all 108 defendants to be given life sentences without parole. Charges include 37 cases of homicide and disrupting the unity and territorial integrity of the state. This case, which will receive its first hearing on the 26th of April, is also being quoted as justification for closing down the HDP. On the 17th of March, the Chief Public Prosecutor of the Court of Cassation submitted an indictment to the Constitutional Court calling for the closure of the party and for 687 party members to be banned from political activity for five years. This was a response to repeated and virulent demands by the MHP leader, Devat Bacheli. The indictment was thrown together so shoddily, a reflection of its political rather than legal origins, that it even included people who were no longer alive. 
Currently, it has been sent back for redrafting with the criticism that, as it stands, it fails to make a case for a causal link between the HDP's actions and what they're being accused of. If the Kobani case finds against the HDP, it will be used as evidence of that link. And how does the European Court of Human Rights come into this? Selahattin Dermatash has appealed his detention at the court in Strasbourg, and the case was heard by the Grand Chamber on the 22nd of December 2020. The judgment can be viewed online and provides a clear rundown of the events that have led to the Kobani case. A vital consideration for the court was whether, at the time of his pre-trial detention, there were, quote, facts or information that could satisfy an objective observer that he had committed the alleged offences. In concluding that there were not, and that Dermotas should be immediately released, the judges made clear that the tweets, quote, cannot be construed as a call for violence, and that, quote, the acts of violence that took place between the 6th and 8th of October 2014, regrettable though they were, cannot be seen as a direct consequence of the tweets in question. The court also found that other evidence against Demotash for political speeches and participation in lawful meetings similarly provided no clear link with the offences for which he was detained. And they concluded, quote, not only were the charges against the applicant based essentially on facts that could not be reasonably considered criminal conduct under domestic law, they related mainly to the exercise by him of his convention rights. They further concluded that the case was not only baseless, but politically motivated. Quote, Court finds that it has been established beyond reasonable doubt that the applicant's detention especially during two crucial campaigns relating to the referendum and the presidential election, pursued the ulterior purpose of stifling pluralism and limiting freedom of political debate, which is at the very core of the concept of a democratic society. Turkey's expansion of the Kobani case just eight days after this ruling is another example of their disregard for the international laws that they have signed up to. The European Court's conclusions can and should be extrapolated to the whole Kobani case. And what of Kobani itself? The city has been rebuilt and is enjoying its freedom as part of the autonomous administration of North and East Syria. But in case anyone was in any doubt about Erdogan's attitudes towards Kurdish freedom and far-right Islamism, he has made no secret of Turkey's desire to invade and occupy Kobani, using the jihadist mercenaries that have already brought a regime of brutality to the Turkish-occupied areas in Afrin, Serikania and Girispi. The only thing that holds them back is the ceasefire overseen by Russia, who will only act as a deterrent so long as it serves their own interests. Life for the residents who still remain in the Turkish-occupied lands has been compared to that under ISIS, which is unsurprising, as the militias that control them include many former ISIS fighters. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. To continue producing shows like this, we need your support. Consider becoming a supporter for $5 a month, sharing this show on social media, and submitting your own stories. You can do all this at our website, greenleft.org.au.